Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is review number 670 with a review of A Quiet Place Part 2. I'm Christopher Snazy. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week in the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest films coming to a streaming platform near you, um, at least as long as we can stretch this out. <laughs> uh, this week, we're talking about a film that came to... Uh, Paramount Plus, uh, that was that was the streaming service it was on. Um, so if you had uh, that available to you, you were able to watch this for freezies. Um, for everyone else, you could rent this for $20. Um, so one way or another, this is probably a film that if you're a fan of the franchise or just curious about it, you probably caught this film. Um, but speaking about being curious about this franchise, uh, Stephen and I just had a little conversation before starting the episode where we realized that we don't think we ever published an episode for A Quiet Place Part 1. Um, we have a bunch of excuses in our head of whether we were at different things or traveling or whatever um, but somehow there is not an actual full titled review about the first film so Stephen to start us off uh, what did you think of A Quiet Place Part 1? Yeah so I I am sure I watched it in 2018 on a plane at some point when it would have come out on planes so probably like late in the year and Airplane is actually a good place for that movie because it is a very good headphone movie. Like the use of sound <laughs> is very important. And yeah. I think being in a situation where you have noise cancellation on and pretty much nothing leaking in is pretty good for the movie. Um, I remember thinking nothing of it when it came out and then like meaning before I watched it, like I had yeah. no desire to see it. I I didn't care. I didn't love that John Krasinski was even trying to make a movie. I was like, all right, this I've seen brief <laughs> interviews with hideous man. This is not going to be good. Um, yeah. but I actually really liked it at least on the plane. I remember being very pleasantly surprised with how well it, um, it, it does a lot of world building without telling you everything. And it had this sense of like, this is a fertile universe that this movie has made and it is fully self-contained and it, it keeps the thrills going it feels exciting. Um, I I really enjoyed Millicent Simmons, who plays the the daughter, uh, the deaf daughter in the movie. I, I thought like it was just really cool how they used her character in a very like clever way, and I, I liked it. Yeah, I, I remember being pretty happy with the movie. I did rewatch it two days ago after Quiet Place Part Two, and rewatching it kind of came down a peg, probably just because the discovery had worn off. Like I didn't yeah. I didn't feel like I was discovering a new thing. I was then feeling like I was watching entry number one into a extended universe of films and that kind of just inherently made it feel a little less special. But on that plane I was in. I I was totally gripped by the movie. Yeah, and I think that makes sense too, because part of the the pro like the way this film unfolds is are there things that you do that make noise <laughs> and if you do accidentally make noise how do you not die from the creatures that come after anything that makes noise right like there there is a tension <laughs> to it that if you already know the beats of the film you there's probably like a little bit less of a heightened uh, sense of like, oh my God, at any moment they could bump something and make a sound um, because right. you know when they do or don't bump things or when they might say step on a nail, uh, moments like that. So like with, with that gone, I could see how it could kind of dip itself down a little bit. Um, I, I did not go back and rewatch it, um, but I did do what I usually do <laughs> when we're getting ready to review a film that we had watched in the past is I'll just like run through the... Uh, the synopsis um, on Wikipedia or something just so I have like an overview just like to refresh it in my head and it is kind of funny the uh, there's a lot of parallel scenes I would say in this film 
to yeah. that original film. Um, you know, the, I mean, obviously it's the same universe, so the same threats exist. Um, but it was kind of someone interesting definitely to... has uh, something that's the opposite of a fetish for feet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, but 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 uh, to t- to put my uh, two cents in, I, I really enjoyed um, A Quiet Place, the the original. Um, I, I think it was. It was definitely an inventive film that, as you said, we find out about the world through watching the families live in the world. So it's it's not a matter of, uh, you know, doing exposition dumps because they literally can't because if they tried to exposition dump, they could die from making too much sounds. Mm-hmm. But we kind of like see the way the kids live. We don't know how long they've been living like that. We just know that this is the state of the world. And uh, holy shit, Sam's pretty scary. Um, I think, you know, it is a film that the more you think about it, the more you think about, like, why don't we just all live in bunkers that are, you know, near waterfalls yeah. or <laughs> things like that. Um, you joked about uh, watching this on a plane and being on a plane with one of these creatures would be one of the best places to hide because there's so much noise from the plane <laughs> that they wouldn't be able to yeah, find Yeah, but you. imagine how much space they would take up. They'd probably keep kicking your seat. Well, you know, the aliens are probably sitting up there in first class so they can stretch out a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, I I guess. <laughs> uh, but yeah, anyways, uh, you know, we, we both enjoyed this film. Um, I, I think that given the state of the world here now, um, we haven't been necessarily, um, you know, following the the sliding release dates for this film. Um, so when it came out, it was kind of like, oh, oh, dang, <laughs> we're both back from vacation. And uh, now in, in a week, uh, Quiet Place Part 2 is going to be available for streaming. And um, we didn't go see it in theaters when it finally released. Uh, but we're here to check it out. So, Stephen, are you ready to get started? I was born ready. But first, just to follow up on the alien on a plane thing, how bad do you think all of their ears would hurt if the plane descended really quickly? I feel like that would make these creatures explode, given <laughs> the aliens how, how sensitive they are. Yeah, yeah, that is true. That's that, the secret. Yeah, that's the secret is we just get all the aliens to get on a plane, <laughs> ascend really fast, and then descend really fast. <laughs> yeah. Oh, if only they could have done that in the Tomorrow War. Even the, I, I imagine now, like when you're watching a movie on a plane and then the fucking pilot keeps going on the intercom or you're on an international flight. And so they turn on the intercom like three times to speak in different languages. I'm imagining like those creatures being on the plane and every time the intercom steps, they just like start going crazy. Yeah. Be a fun little little SNL bit. You could have. Yeah, you could have a good uh, a good skit where it's like you're eating like pretzels or peanuts really, really loud and they're trying to get you. But then the pilot keeps coming on and they run back away and then everybody's really pissed that you're making too much noise just in general. And the alien keeps coming, going away, coming, go away. Anyways, uh, what do you say, Stephen? We play the trailer for this film and then we get into our review. Cool. came all the way up here. There's nothing left. 
that was the trailer for a quiet place part two um it basically picks up exactly where the first film left off um and basically uh the family um having lived through a horrific ordeal in the first film is now trying to sort of uh spread their wings a little bit and try to make their way out to potentially find other people um who have survived the aliens for as long as they have and hopefully try to connect up with some other people Stephen Miller, what did you think of A Quiet Place Part 2? So I mentioned that immediately after this movie, I went back and revisited the first one. That is because I had to figure out what was in that movie and what wasn't. Because this movie assumes I just finished Part 1 like two minutes before viewing this one. Yeah. It, it is like... This isn't that much of a criticism, but it is one of the most presumptuous sequels ever in terms of how much it thinks the audience remembers about the final scene of that last movie. Um, like this, this takes place, it is literally, it's day 473 is when most of A Quiet Place takes place. This begins day 473.5. Like this is literally the same day. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Noah Jupe had been 12 years old. He's now a 50 year old man. But otherwise, <laughs> that was my favorite part of seeing. I was like, this guy, like, if you were watching these together, like, if you watched a double feature or you, you bought it as a DVD set of a, edited into a single movie, he would, as soon as, you know, the last shot of that, la that movie ends, he suddenly just goes like, and hulks up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's funny because the movie, like, A Quiet Place was filmed in 2017 and this was filmed in 2019. So, like, they, they didn't leave that much time in between but it's just you know he's of that age he just like yeah. grew so much in a couple of years um he, he just d did a, pulled a boyhood in the middle of the movie but to yeah, two movies. yeah definitely <laughs> um but but yeah so the movie jumps right back into the action uh first i'll talk about the pre what do you call it? The prologue where it actually cuts back to day zero, which I think is great by far the best part of this movie. Like yeah. not even close. Um, that, that was fantastic. That did everything a quiet place does. Well, it had the, the scares. It had the, like it had the sudden burst of tension. It really gave the impression that these creatures are unstoppable and horrifying and the havoc that they wreaked on the world. I, I thought it was great. I thought, thought that yeah. beginning was great. Then it jumps to, Emily Blunt cocking her shotgun and saying, let's go. And immediately I was kind of lost because I couldn't remember why they were leaving. I couldn't remember how things had ended. Uh, Millicent Simmons had like an amp that she was grabbing and a hearing aid and a microphone. There were like too many things. And like, I couldn't remember anymore. Like, what did we discover about the creatures? I know we discovered something, but I don't know what it is. And then they hit the road. Um, and I feel like, at a high level, I think the movie does still deliver on most of the same 
interplay of like silence and noise and tension and everything that the first one does. I, it has that. It uses it to good effect in some cases. Um, I still mostly like the characters, but I think from a world building standpoint, which is normally not my beef, I think this movie like shits the bed with the quiet place universe compared to the first one. I think it, the creatures are way less scary than they are in part one. There are like multiple weaknesses that the creatures have, even though part one Part one established that the whole world has been sending newspaper headlines talking about them. Like John Krasinski has a ton of them on his wall. And yet there's a very simple way to evade these creatures that apparently can only be hidden through like cryptic things playing over the radio. Um, I, I think it like it made them less terrifying. The time it takes between making a noise and having to confront one of these things is like 10 times longer in this movie than it is in the first one. And they do it because they want this movie to have more of the more expansive scope and they want everyone to have to battle them. Um, and I, I just felt like that really defeated the fear of the creatures that the first movie gave me. And I think that is actually why the first movie worked less well on me after viewing this is because it had already done a lot of work to make me be way less terrified of them than I would have been in the universe of quiet place. Part one. Um, I also think this movie makes a huge mistake by splitting the family up, which it does for pretty much the entire runtime, which means it has to play with, multiple parallel threats so each member of the family can get their big scene or their big moment. And I think that just leads to creature exhaustion. It makes the same threat happen too many times. Um, and that kind of bummed me out. I'm, I'm being very critical here, but like I, I think they mostly still hit the formula. Like It was totally fine. I, I feel like in a theater, I would have had a lot of fun. It would have been a fine go back to the movies experience. I just feel like they kind of caught lightning in a bottle the first time around. And I think the quality really degraded here in ways that they could have avoided if the script just hadn't wanted to make it more of a expansive adventure type film. Like, like I think the places they go and the things they choose to do are pretty unnecessary and borderline dumb in this movie. And I would have been much happier if they found a way to keep the same taut, like, family avoiding catastrophe feeling of the first movie rather than setting up a third movie, which is basically what this movie exists to do. Yeah. So I, I think I, I would argue that you're being a little harsh on the film. Um, I'm not arguing this is an amazing film. I'm arguing, I'm, I'm, I'm simply arguing that I, I think that like some of your problems are built into the relationships that are in these kids. Right. So in the first film, um, they all sort of followed the father, right? And he was the one who, he's like the survivalist. He's the one who came up with most of the plans on what to do. And they always looked to him, even if they knew in their head what to do in any given situation, they still always looked to him as like the guiding force. And now, spoilers for the first film, since John Krasinski dies, they are now on their own for the first time. And they are sort of stuck in that bounce of things of like, no, I know what to do. I should do it but I'm also no longer have this person that can like tell me, yes, do that thing that you want to do. So I think that, I think that the, the stupid decisions the kids may make in this film are, mm -hmm. uh, are accurate to how stupid 
the kids might be in that situation. And I'm using that word a little flippantly. Um, you know, kids but the have, adults double down on those stupid decisions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean the the so, but see, see what, what I like about this film is you know you know hold on, let me back up for a second. So I think this film does hit most of the same beats. It sort of uh, shuffles some things around and randomizes the elements that are like that are making noise and causing people to be in a state of duress that might cause them to have to bounce making noise with uh, not making noise. Um, and, and I really like the situations it comes up with to to try to get these people in situations that they have to barely get out of, right? Like, I, I'm, I'm, I, I like what it's doing, and I think it nails all of that. I think that this film suffers from the same problems of the first one, where some of the tension-causing scenes are only problems because people back in time, before both films started, made stupid decisions, right? So in the first film... Um, they build this like quiet box because they know they're about to have a baby. <laughs> um, and that box is, you know, airtight <laughs> so that sound doesn't escape it. And the way the baby doesn't die is they put a little oxygen tank that like allows the baby to breathe. Right. I have for all of time have just thought that's the one oxygen tank they could possibly have access to because where else are you going to get a bunch of oxygen tanks? Right. <laughs> This right. film answers the question of whether or not there are more oxygen tanks, but it answers it in a way that made me go, why the fuck would you have not grabbed all the oxygen tanks? Oh, you don't want to bogart all the oxygen tanks. <laughs> you, you do, though, you know, one because, at a time. because one thing that these no, two know, films, <laughs> one thing these two films have taught me is it's every man for themselves out <laughs> yep. there in this world. I, I think that one of the, 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 the you know, in, in the trailer, um, you know, a character is saying people were starting to lose hope or whatever. Yeah, if this is the situation, lose hope because they're like the gains you can get from finding other people are so outweighed by the harm you can cause those people by finding them and yeah. or the harm they can cause you by you finding them, right? In, in this, like in... If we compare this to a, a film like uh, Love and Monsters, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. In that film, it's also equally stupid for him to go out, except for we know that the girl he's trying to find is at a settlement that has plenty of people. And the only danger is whether the aliens are going to kill him on the way to find his, his old girlfriend. Um, so it's like he is stupid because he is ill-equipped to try to try to do anything. These people in this situation... They don't know why they're trying to find other people because if any, even if somebody has established a settlement somewhere, unless they are specifically saying, come, come here, we have plenty of supplies. Even if they are non-hostile and you are non-hostile to them by simply appearing as a family of four, you are now splitting the survivability of the rest of that group even without any other extraneous circumstances that could crop up because of that, right? Just in the sheer fact that you now take four people's worth of resources and a baby who could cry at any moment in time, you are now yeah. causing that to the people you tried to meet. So it's like this film was really about this family. And that's one of the things too, that this film sort of established is that how did they survive on that farm for so long without marauders and people coming to try to like take it over and stuff like that, right? Because yeah. There's no reason why they should have been able to survive. Like you kind of survive if everybody is sort of like, we're all going to stay to ourselves. We're not going to get, get too close to other people. So that way, if we accidentally make noise, we don't accidentally kill other people. It just becomes a thing where like, you know, this world is fucked and you should let it be fucked and just 
survive as long as you can. I'm definitely in the camp of people who might, you know, just say like, it's not worth even trying to survive. <laughs> even, even if you learned about the hearing aid trick, because that's the thing is I feel like this movie, it wants you to remember that they have finally found a weakness of these creatures, but then it also doesn't want anyone but the daughter to give a shit. <laughs> like in a way, like them leaving, you know, taking a shotgun and heading out for the world makes total sense to me if they are going to be like the traveling evangelists of like, look, we know how to stop the monsters. Um, yeah. But that isn't really what Emily Blunt does. She kind of just goes like, we're going to go somewhere and ruin Killian Murphy's life. <laughs> yeah. I mean, th yeah, they're like, <laughs> they didn't know they were going to run into Killian Murphy. Right. All they like all they didn't know shit. Right. Like in theory, the daughter was like, hey, somebody's been lighting a signal fire over here. We should head that direction. And then along yeah. the way, Killian Murphy's like, oh, shucks, I got to do the right thing and <laughs> let them into mm -hmm. my little bunker. Um, also, <laughs> there is. There is uh, there, there's a mechanic in this film that involves a little uh, a boiler, I guess, is what it is. Um, and there is a towel that is draped off that yep. is used uh, for the door to shut onto. Now, th now this film to its credit, it's trying to let you just figure stuff out, right? Like you, you watch it, you watch them time things and you go like, I know other timing things. Cool. That makes sense. You watch all these different things. I definitely a hundred percent was sure that the cloth was just so that it doesn't, it's not a big giant iron door going dong every time you yep. shut it. Right. But it turns out <laughs> that's not the purpose of that towel yeah apparently you would instantly just kill yourself if you didn't have this little piece of cloth there oh that was pretty funny. i mean killian didn't baby proof the house that's the problem yeah but he didn't know a baby was gonna come yeah yeah one interesting thing about this movie is i feel like a lot of what the movie is about hinges on things that could be spoilers so i'm trying to figure out a good way to dance around what i actually found to be some of the more um world-buildingly frustrating parts of the movie. Because um, there are basically multiple revelations here that broaden the universe in a way. And they also echo that theme that is true of the family coming to Killian Murphy's place of like, your goal is just to come somewhere and fuck it up. Yeah. Um, like in a way that is strange for also rooting for our heroes at the same time. Um, one thing that... Did you find it kind of weird that everyone, including Killian Murphy, like adores John Krasinski as the greatest man who ever lived when the movie hasn't shown any interaction pre the events that would make you think he's anything but just like a dude who drives a truck? <laughs> um, Steven, obviously everybody in this universe also watched The Office. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> Isn't Jim the greatest person in the world? He's, I would say he's a flawed character. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, that, that is true. We don't really see him do anything other than talk to some people in a grocery store right before it <laughs> just gets... Yeah. Like, like very quickly in, I think, I think it's the same day, maybe a day after. I don't know how long they sleep after, you know, things happen that makes them have to plant at uh, Killian's place for a while. Um, but there's an argument that erupts between Emily Blunt and Killian Murphy, where the daughter basically says, like, you are nothing like my father. And, like, 
in a very kind of scathing way that it's like you barely know this guy like he's he's been talking for like a few minutes of movie time we yeah. haven't established anything about these people's characters to like set the stakes this high in terms of whether we're supposed to hate them uh, i, I mean, mean it, it felt like the movie kind of shortcutted some of the pathos whereas the first movie the love and then awkward mix of love but maybe projected resentment that the kids see from john krasinski on them um i thought that was like a really good part of the first movie and in this movie the relationships by contrast don't really feel like they have anything to say yeah i mean killian murphy does try to disguise his identity and doesn't want them to know that they know each other <laughs> mm. so he is sort of showing his cards there a little bit yeah but do we do we have any reason to think John Krasinski would have saved strangers at the risk of his family? I don't feel like the first movie shows him doing anything other than protecting his family. That's true. <laughs> and in the prologue, even, of this movie, the only time we see him interacting with other people is, like, diving away so his police officer friend can die for him. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, he does try to quiet that one man up, right? So, <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I like bearded John Krasinski. Happy to see him. Happy to root yeah. for him. It just felt like him dying in the first movie was an interesting act of the movie being like, look, we're going to kill kill this star, this leading man. And it kind of felt like now he's directing it. And also every 10 minutes, a character has to remember how great he was. It just feels like, John, we don't need that. Your kids are growing up. They can... They can fight their own battles now. <laughs> I mean, can they, though, Stephen? Well, they do make a lot of really bad decisions, which we will talk about in spoilers. Yeah, I, I, think, that, I think that's definitely true. But I, I think, um, you know, what, one, one child makes a bad decision for a good purpose. One child is just an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the fuck. I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to spoil which child it is, but I don't know what he it's was thinking. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> apparently his brain didn't grow as big as his body in the last two years uh. but also what a bad mom like ev just everyone like they just are making really reckless decisions in this movie very willy-nilly rather than just i don't know go to a store at the beginning of your journey <laughs> i feel like that would solve a lot of your problems yeah so i, I will ask you this too Th this is this is a bit of a spoiler, um, but it's a spoiler in the in a context of a way that like it's an unexplained scene that doesn't actually matter to the overall film. Um, but there's a part in this movie where Emily Blunt needs to go off and do a specific task. But before she can do that task, she takes a long journey <laughs> to visit the, the uh, grave of her child who died in the first movie yeah. and then leaves her wedding ring there. <laughs> Right. As though, like, she's like, I'm definitely hooking up with Killian Murphy. <laughs> hey, it's been two days since my husband died. What do you want from me? That was weird, right? Like, like I get it if you have to walk by your child's grave anyways to do a, a certain task. You can take time to stop there. I just didn't understand why she has to, like, put take the ring. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's her... Like, the grave is already kind of a memoriam to her child, so she's making it now a memoriam to her husband as well, I guess. But it does seem like the ring, you could keep that with you. You could put something else put something else on there instead. 
And we don't know how far it is, because that's the thing, too, is I I didn't go back and rewatch the beginning of this movie, but I feel like it makes it seem like it is a rather long journey that they go on at the beginning before they wind up at Killian's house. But then the geography of it seems like she is able to go back home and go to the store and everything pretty easily. Like, so they didn't actually go very far. Yeah, I don't think it was very far. I think it was just that, like, when you have a farm that has most of the things you need and you have a store within walking distance, you don't really venture out because you don't know what's going on outside of your little tiny bubble. Um, you know, it's fog of war, Stephen. <laughs> yeah. Also, how do radios work? Because John Krasinski in the first movie is marking off places like Tokyo and Amsterdam <laughs> um, as he sweeps the world. Um, but it, Kind of, it, it it just seems like he missed a spot. The movie tries to cover it. We can talk about it in spoilers, but it it seems a little little odd. Yeah. Well, any more non spoiler things you'd like to talk about before we sort of dive into things? Um, there is a scene involving a little girl on a dock that I thought just in terms of sheer creepy tone building worked pretty well even though again i don't fully know if i care about the subplot that it winds up taking us to yeah um but that scene worked on me so you know good on you john (laughs) i definitely think i would have handled that situation a little bit differently but uh (laughs) just (laughs) killian would have just stabbed her and moved on well like it's not like it's not like it was a zip tie that has like teeth that prevent it from going the other direction. Right. Mm. <laughs> it's like, you just playing by the rules or something. <laughs> <laughs> right. We'll get to it in spoilers. I don't know. Yeah. We can get to it in spoilers. I don't remember the exact mechanism of, of, of what happens. Yeah. But anyways, uh, so we are going to have a spoiler segment. So for now, Stephen Miller, let's get to verdicts uh, for anybody who doesn't want spoilers. If you're going to give us a must see record with a caveat, wait for rental pass with a caveat or must avoid. What would you give it? I'm giving this like a strong wait for rental. I think this was a totally fine sequel. Probably again, if I'd watched it in theaters, it would have gotten a little bit of a bump. I just think the first movie did such a really good job of establishing a new like language for horror is probably not the right word. It's more like thriller, psychological thriller. Um, I just thought the first movie did a whole lot with a relatively narrow scope you know, one farm, one family experiencing one set of things. And it is very natural for movies in the sequel to try to broaden their horizons. That's kind of like the normal thing to do. It usually doesn't work for me and it didn't really work for me here. So I I kind of wish they had just replicated the formula instead of trying to make things bigger and more meaningful because I think that dilutes what the movies are really about, which is like family and grief and all of these very tense emotions, not broad adventure type characteristics so it was fine it's fine but wasn't amazing like i'm not telling joanna to watch it she'll be fine never seeing it <laughs> um i'm gonna give it a record with a caveat um i definitely enjoyed it a little bit more than steven did um i do think it sticks to the formula for the most part obviously it's trying to expand it but i think that what the film is good at is building tension that involves how do i not make noise and stay alive and i think this film nails that <laughs> part of what it's doing just as well as the first one did so i i enjoyed it uh reckon with a caveat for me um and uh i'll 
be around to check out Quiet Place Part 3 when that happens. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I will too. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that's going to do it for the non-spoiler part of our review of A Quiet Place Part 2. Stephen Miller, if people want to find you throughout the week, where can they do that? People can go to twitter.com slash sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com. People can find me at ChristopherInRealLife.com or Twitter.com slash ChristopherIRL. You can find the podcast over at TheSpoilerWarning.com where you get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. Um, if you want to know when the episodes go live, you can follow us at Twitter.com slash SpoilerWarning, Facebook.com slash TheSpoilerWarning, or Instagram.com slash TheSpoilerWarning. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at TheSpoilerWarning.com or you can use the contact form on our site. Music for this episode will come from the soundtrack to A Quiet Place Part 2, so hopefully you are enjoying that. That music is going to fade up. Um... When that music fades out, we will be in full-blown spoilers for A Quiet Place Part 2, so get ready because we're going to get loud and aliens are going to come, and those aliens are spoilers. Um, (laughs) For everybody not sticking around, we'll be back next week continuing the Emily Blunt train with a review of Jungle Cruise on Disney+. Plus. (laughs) So I'm sure that's going to be a laugh riot. Um, But yeah, we're going to take off. We'll be back in just a second with spoilers. All right, we're back. This is spoiler territory, the after part of our review of A Quiet Place Part 2. We are talking full-blown spoilers for the film, so if you haven't seen it yet, be prepared. Hey, everybody. Uh, Pardon the interruption. This is Christopher. I just wanted to drop in and leave a little note for anybody venturing into spoiler territory here. Um, In about 30 minutes into this spoiler territory, um, we're going to begin having a conversation about survivability in the world of these films. And while that conversation starts pretty lighthearted, um, it does slowly veer into some darker territory, um, territory that may bring up subject matter that might be sensitive to some listeners. I wanted to pop in just so you have the heads up. Um, It happens at about one hour, five minutes into the episode. I will leave a chapter marker um, just so you know when it's there. But basically, if you hear me ask um, Stephen how he would survive in the reality of these films, that's a good indication that you're about time to jump off the episode um, if you'd like to avoid those subject matters. Um, For everybody else, um, thanks for giving me a chance to leave this little note and I'll return you to the episode. Where would you like to start off, Stephen? Um... Okay, let, let's start with the hearing aid, because like this is really why I had to rewatch the first movie immediately, is my memory, which was accurate when I rewatched the first movie, is that uh, the daughter has a hearing aid, and when the creatures come near her, there is a feedback kind of buzzing between whatever they do to echolocate and the hearing aid that drives them crazy and makes them be repelled. Yeah. Um, in the first movie, she doesn't even actively need to do anything for the most part to make this happen. Like she discovers it by mistake multiple times when creatures are like going to attack her and then can't because they're driven away by this thing. Um, I couldn't tell because this also has an amp with a microphone that seems like she's holding in front of the amp whether the goal in this movie is still it seems like the goal is not the hearing aid but feedback but then halfway through the movie they're like oh but actually the hearing aid is the thing and i just felt confused by like what is the hack that they've learned to to thwart these creatures i mean it's definitely the feedback um the question is how do i generate feedback on a big enough scale to actually affect the scenarios that we're, we're going through so 
it's like even with Killian Murphy, there's a part where she falls asleep and you get 30 seconds of her thinking that he just bailed and took the hearing aid. But he was clearly right. going out and like he wanted to keep it with him as he was going to do some scouting. And he was sort of mm-hmm. like doing a little check with it to see like how it all works. Um, I uh, yeah. So, I mean, that 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 doesn't like I'm I'm fine with whatever. I mean, I, it definitely seems like it is all about feedback, which apparently you can't just make by having a mic like you can't just do it by having a meet call <laughs> where you forget to mute two people that are in the yeah. same room um <laughs> i mean Bobo, that was it's just like it, it, i just didn't get the first movie makes it seem like there's something special about the hearing aid like the exact frequency that it uses or whatever well, is the secret so because that, she doesn't it, like, it can't be just feedback because she's so freaked out about losing the hearing aid. And when they get to the island in the end, it's the hearing aid that is like, look, we're going to bring this and broadcast it. Yeah. So, so the thing we have to remember, um, and by we, I mean, I and maybe you, if I'm correct, is that John Krasinski was futzing with her. And it's a co- cochlear implant, right? Like he mm-hmm. was, it was, it was either damaged or just was dying and he was taking spare parts from other electronics and like fixing it and making it better so that she would have this thing that would like last her longer. So it is Mm -hmm. not just a hearing aid. It is a somehow technically modified object built from a hearing aid. Basically it's so, so there is something special about what she has. It's not like every nursing home in the country was impervious to getting attacked by these aliens because all the people with hearing aids were able to block them away. It's a specific device that has been modified in a specific way that happens to have this sort of like feedback resonance frequency thing that causes the aliens to go crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But in the train sequence here, and it didn't bother me that much. It just, I literally, I felt like the movie couldn't decide whether the hearing aid was special or not. She's in the train. um, The creature comes and her problem is she wants to hold the amp with the mic up to it and hold a shotgun at the same time. But in the language of the first movie, which took place two days ago in like real world time, her having the hearing aid on already would keep a monster from attacking her. So if I remember correctly, it was always the microphone in the radio room. Like it was feeding back on no, the radio. The, the, the feedback starts when she's out in like the cornfield or something. And it happens again when they're in the grain silo. But does, does like nowhere near the microphone. Does that feedback affect the aliens or is that her? Oh, yeah. yeah, they they like start to come near her and then go and then scurry away. Hmm. Well, they're, they're they're repelled by it, but, but they're not incapacitated by it, right? They're not fully incapacitated. No, they like they run. They're clearly getting there, and then they run away. Yeah, yeah. To so, not I, be so I think the difference because the way I remember it, and you've seen it most recently, so you can kind of correct me if I'm wrong. But the way I remember it is the feedback bothers her too. So she is like, "Shit, ah, oh, I got to take it off because it's bug- bugging me." And then eventually she notices that it's also driving the aliens away. But when mm-hmm. it's piped through her dad's uh, broadcast radio system thing it creates the sound at such a level that they, they yeah. can't run away. They're just stuck. Like, like they got hit with right, a yeah. Dabra or something and they're just like, they can't move. And that's what allows you to basically kill them. So there is a, you know, a level one and a level two <laughs> that they're establishing. 
Right. It just seems like she's not even turning it on in these like amp battles. It seems like it's just feedback all of a sudden. Otherwise, the requiring both hands thing, whatever. It's a minor point, but because I hadn't seen the first movie in a while, I was like genuinely thinking it was only feedback and then the hearing aid became important. And I was like, wait, I don't I don't remember which of these things it is. The real thing I want to talk about is I think that we probably could have guessed, but still the aliens can't swim. Like, yeah. the secret is boats. <laughs> Go to an island and you're safe. Um, a character in this new world that they go to, which I'll admit, like, the aesthetics of suddenly showing up on an island where their family is talking and playing and laughing and everything, like, that that was cool. I get why the movie wanted to do it, just so you get that feeling of this bizarre return to normal that they get for a minute before the next day when they fucked everything up and, you know, caused the death of plenty of children. Um before, when they first get there, though, um, the the guy who is kind of like the impromptu leader of the village, who's also in How to Train Your Dragon 2, I think, so he just likes being in these sequels that disappoint me for trying to expand the world. <laughs> um, he says, the first day when it happened, the National Guard realized that they can't swim, so they tried to send out boats to the island to save people, but then you know, aliens came and only a few boats made it. So every, like, world leaders knew that this was the secret. This was the way to avoid them. On day one, John Krasinski has been reading newspaper headlines about the angels of death and what can stop them for a while. And no, first of all, did they just land in so many places? Is that why Tokyo and Shanghai and everywhere else like still got ravaged and only tiny islands don't get hit? And also, why did no one ever say, by the way, get to a boat? <laughs> All your problems are going to be solved. And third, I mean, the, the, if the, you were in this magical place where there are none of these aliens ravaging the Earth, would you just play a record with a cryptic song to let your fellow humans know that this exists? So or it, would you do something to try to help mankind? <laughs> it's so you have okay, so so one one was what? Uh world leaders knew National Guard knew that boat was the solution on day one, and yet headlines are talking about how they're unstoppable for many days. Like there are headlines about New York being ravaged and Shanghai being ravaged and the angels of death and they appear to be blind and all that stuff. So in, in all these situations where people knew this, so, so basically the story that guy was telling was that they figured out that they couldn't swim. They tried to get everybody to get on boats, but man as a species is shitty and right. basically fucked it all up. And then the aliens came and killed everybody. We don't know if that's like a that group of people figured it out <laughs> and started trying to do it. Like at this point in time, we can assume that like communications are down around the world, potentially at like different things. Like I, I can at least understand that like everybody is operating under their own intel and some people are trying to transmit stuff back and forth um, via old school radios and shit like that. But like I can at least buy that like nobody really knows what's up. Some people might have a theory, but before they can even test it, people are dying. Mm hmm. So, so that's how I'll like, I'll like, yes, you're correct. The film is sort of like that on a lot of different subjects. So I kind of don't fault it too much because like what, what I would like to see with this film is when there wasn't a, when there wasn't a prequel 
uh, or sorry, when, when, when the second film didn't start with a flashback to before the first film, we didn't really know how long this family had been surviving. Right. We like we technically I mean, there, there's the there's the, the credit. I think the, the first movie says day 452 or something. OK, but, but we don't know how fast the invasion happened. Right. Like it could have been literally mm-hmm. like everything showed up and the entire world's gone in the first day. Right. right. <laughs> we don't, we don't know that it's a, you know, 30 year war, like in the tomorrow war or whatever. <laughs> Similar creature design, by the way. Yeah. It's just, they didn't have the little like weird tentacle arms that shot all the spikes. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't really know how fast everything progressed. And, and like in the chaos, even if you know, like imagine Steven, these aliens were attacking the mission if you're just trying not to die and then some guy on the street was yelling, they can't swim. Would you even pay any attention to that guy yelling that? Or would you just be like, fuck him. I'm out of here. I got to get to the car and I got to drive away. Yeah. But what if I had a printing press (laughs) (laughs) or a radio? (laughs) Fair fair enough. But, but yeah, like the fact that there are newspapers that like I had to rewatch the first movie in part to remember because John Krasinski had all these newspapers that he was pouring over writing to try to solve the mystery of the creatures. So mankind like was talking to each other (laughs) when it happened. It could be again people. These people have a radio, but I know that's my point number three. So we haven't gotten there yet, but it could be Steven could be. And I know this is not the correct answer, but I'm just going to posit it anyways. What if all of the papers are actually the papers from every single country on the day, like the, the English written papers on the day that everything first happened, and he's downloaded them from the internet and printed them out? All right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's one moment in time from a bunch of vantage points that he is trying to piece together what information he can from all of them. I mean, I'm pretty sure the headlines say, like, death toll continues to rise, blah, 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 in a way that sounds, you know, like it is ongoing. But I'll, yeah. fine, I'll, <laughs> I'll give it to you. I, I just, like, to me, the first movie, they seem completely unstoppable. And this hearing aid feedback trick is like the holy shit mankind is about to figure out the answer you know and like emily blunt cocks her gun and the movie's over and it's like oh yeah oh yeah we're in it now we're we've learned the cheat code we found the toxin you know we're gonna (laughs) we're we're gonna beat them um and there was just something conceptually that bothered me about this movie then revealing another much more obvious big way that you can get away from the creatures and that the creatures can basically die inadvertently because they're apparently pretty dumb (laughs) yeah so so what was your number two (laughs) um fuck i only now remember number three (laughs) which was you're in this utopian place you have a radio station Oh, and yeah. all you do so, is play a record with a song about over the sea. So that that is that. Once again, not the greatest explanation, but I think this is the canon explanation is that there are marauders and shitty people who would not want to come be part of this society. They would want to pillage them, take all their supplies and then kill all the people. Um, so it's, and marauders are bad at riddles. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the expectation. 
<laughs> so it, it, it's 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 not a it's not meant as a like you know speak friend and enter sort of thing it's more mostly just like the bare minimum to provide a clue for people who are not just trying to because i mean if you are trying to steal stuff and you hear this song on the radio are you going to spend time trying to figure out why somebody's just playing a song on a loop or are you going to be like all right f that noise let me go find the nearest camp that i can you know pillage yeah i just I mean, the corollary, if you are a group of marauders who live on the boat docks, have you really just never taken the boat? <laughs> Ever? Because <laughs> the island is apparently right there. Like, you throw a creature on a boat and it'll hit the island. <laughs> maybe, maybe. That is true. That's what we've learned from this film. But maybe there's no gasoline for the boat, Stephen. And nobody thought to paddle. And also, these guys are clearly... You know, they're a little, they're a little bit, uh, little. Yeah, but they didn't start that way, <laughs> presumably. They just, they, they just, they, they didn't seem like the smartest batch of uh, marauders <laughs> that I've ever seen. It, it just seems like this island, other people would have found it. And in this universe, the only people in existence who care about anything are John Krasinski's family and Killian Murphy now because he's met them. <laughs> and like it it just doesn't seem sustainable to me. I mean again it, it kind of reminds me of Love and Monsters where like they have that location on Jenner Beach where they've had this sanctuary that yeah. they live in. Um but there there is humans communicating over radio. There is this whole world of you know people trying to help each other and in this movie, it has kind of established that mankind is doomed. They haven't helped each other. They've all gone radio silent. And there's just something about, like, then this happy community being right over there that just feels like the world has been made bigger, but then you've made human ambition in that world so small, it, like, doesn't... I don't believe it anymore. Yeah, and, and I also think that the... The whole idea that island, I like the idea of an island, right? Um, you know, lots of films have an idea of an island or a boat that everybody's yeah. trying to get to. Children of Men is about trying to get mm -hmm. to a boat. <laughs> um, and, and like that, that is an interesting concept. But I think that like, if this has really been 400 something days, were there enough supplies on that island for everybody? Like people weren't living caveman style, right? Like they all had their own no, cabin. They were, they were living it up. Yeah. They were doing like full on like banquet barbecues. Like there's no way that that group of people survived for that long under those conditions because it just doesn't make sense. Right. Even, even running generators on that Island for that long doesn't make any sense. So it's kind of like, you know, it is what it is, but it, it definitely felt like that Island was an idea not an actual mm -hmm. thing that anybody sort of thought to its log logical conclusion about how could this island actually persist for this long, supporting that many people, having barbecue, unless it was like maybe once a year on 4th of July, they celebrate their Independence Day from aliens and, and they have like a big old cookout with whatever supplies <laughs> they've gathered throughout the year. Yeah, they celebrate the movie Independence Day. <laughs> uh, I remembered my number two. Did the aliens just land all over at the same time? Because Tokyo was definitely ravaged. And Tokyo's an island. <laughs> or Japan is an island. <laughs> Touche, Stephen. But I think the answer is yes, they landed all over. Okay. 
Because I, mean, I don't know that that's how things falling from space on a spinning globe work, but I'll I'll take it. I mean, you, you know the you know the 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 game of life, the not not the board game, the game of life, but the you know the the thing where the light the light next to the light turns on and that one turns off, and then you watch the things like ripple outwards forever. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So the that's sky. the way it is, but with sound, right? <laughs> so the aliens <laughs> land. <laughs> everybody screams and they keep making their way away from their impact crater like that's the thing yeah. is you should have gone to where whatever they were on landed because they're working their way outward because of sound and they're clearly not surviving based on needing supplies on their ship or their rock or whatever landed so i feel like going to that crater is probably the best idea mm-hmm. yeah that would be the life so i want to talk about noah jupe <laughs> Yeah. His, we've already established or, or he as I makes call him just, dummy boy <laughs> yeah uh, Joopsy Daisy um, he, he just like so first of all Emily Blind is a bad mom in this movie I'm, I'm willing to mom shame her she, she has a newborn child and a son who is like deeply injured and she leaves them not just to get health supplies, but also, as you said, to do a detour to put her wedding ring on, you know, the the grave of her son. Um, she leaves them completely unsafe right after Killian Murphy has already also left to go get her daughter, who he still hasn't brought home and she doesn't appear worried for some reason. Yeah. Um, like it, this family just seems like they are abandoning each other very quickly and then noah creates every problem on his own because he's sitting there he's fine with the baby but for some reason he doesn't like a sound he hears or water dripping and so he just goes up and starts snooping no he he was he was trying to see if his mom was coming back he was Hmm. he didn't like that she was taking as long as she was he expected her to be home by then and he was like, I need to go see if she's coming back, which is mm. dumb. But he wasn't just trying to look for the water drips. He was definitely like, when's mom going to be back? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I also did not like this sequence where he is exploring the place. And it seems like the movie at that moment is trying to hint that maybe Killian Murphy is a bad guy. Like, maybe he's going to discover something that is like the, the deep, dark secret of Killian Murphy's place, but really it's just that his wife died and is still in the bed. Like, I don't know. It felt like it was trying to do a haunted house thing and it didn't work. And I was just mad at Noah Jupe the whole time. <laughs> like, what are you doing? There's a newborn baby down there and there are creatures that will kill anything that makes sound. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, he is definitely the stupidest character in the whole, like that baby didn't make as many mistakes as Noah Jupe <laughs> <Right. said. laughs> Um, but yeah, I think this is one of those films where he is the person you're yelling at. No, don't do that. <laughs> right. The other characters yeah. like like I when the daughter goes out on her own, she at least has a reason why she's doing it. Right. She is. She has a theory on the fact that there could be other people there. And what she's trying to do is carry the message of cochlear implants. Um, while it could ruin a drummer's life, it <laughs> It, it could save all the rest of humanity. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's another thing I couldn't really tell is I wanted to believe again because I couldn't really remember the mechanism of how the feedback hurt them. 
I wanted to believe that by broadcasting it from the radio tower, she would somehow amplify this feedback signal and hit all of the creatures and that this was an act of offense that she was doing. But it doesn't seem like that's true. It like the only person that her getting that to the radio tower seems to have helped is Noah Jupe. Yeah. Because by luck, he was holding a radio and was also being attacked by a creature at the same time. Um, yeah. I don't know. It, it seemed like it was building up to it being a big climax and then it didn't like it didn't wind up having to be the radio tower at all, as far as I can tell. So I think like, I think it, I think I think she wanted it to broadcast so people would hear it so that it would affect the aliens. But I don't think it was supposed to be like a Mars attack situation where they play that song and all the aliens heads explode. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I think it was mostly just to like, this is how I'll get this out, which is funny. If you, if you imagine a world in which society is back to normal, but there's just that hideous screeching sound playing 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And it's like, yeah. you, you know, we're back to doing, you know, nine to five jobs. Everybody like go to the store, but you just have like noise canceling headphones on. And the one person whose battery dies just goes into it like intense, like ag agony. Um, yeah. It, That's it, what masking is like, dude. Do <laughs> <laughs> today, Steven. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it is, it is interesting. Um, I, I don't think the world is fully thought out, but I think the moment to moment beats of, Shit, I've stepped in a bear trap. <laughs> uh, what am I going to do now? Um, yep. You know, I'm a baby and I got to cry because babies cry. Like, what am I going to do mm. now? Like, I, I really, I, I like the situations that the family gets into. Um, and and I, I think that that suspense nails it every time it does it. Like, I, there, there isn't a time where, I mean, people make stupid decisions and I might not buy that they'd be that stupid. But once they are that stupid, I do... 100% buy into the tension like the second the daughter steps out on her journey I'm like no you're right but you're dumb because you can't tell like it is a creature that knows everything you're doing because it can hear you and you can't even know if it's coming towards you right. because you can't hear like she needs a person as a spotter when she goes out to do things and like she proves that as she goes out on her journey that, that like you know hey it turns out things can sneak up on me if I can't hear them coming. And I, and I think that there is, you know, like, like, you know, survivalists talk about how there is not silence in nature, right? If you hear silence, that means something's wrong because everything <laughs> else in the wilderness knows that there's a predator and now you're just sitting in complete silence. You don't have that simple uh, ability to perceive that if you're in the state that she's in. So it's like, it's like, man, why would she not just take somebody with her when she goes out? Just go for it. <laughs> yeah. I also don't know what her, she is in such a hurry to do this. It seems like Emily Blunt would have been supportive of this if it was like, okay, but can we wait for your brother to have a foot? <laughs> um, and it it just seems I get that these are brash kids and their bad decisions are understandable in character, but there was just something frustrating about this feeling of like no, it needs to be right now in suboptimal conditions, um, which leads to the final thing that that train sequence makes me think of, and then again on the island when the monster is there, and also in Noah Jupe's place is 
I feel like the creatures, it used to be the threat is they come running for you and they snatch you. Like you make a sound and you're fucked. The yeah. end. It, that was always a little bit, the, the rules of that universe were not that clear because it's like the creature is using hearing, but it isn't like you can make a sound and then move 10 feet to the left and stay silent and be safe. Um, I don't know what it is. Like they amplify their hearing and eventually hear a heartbeat or something. So like you can't really stay hidden forever. But I feel like in this movie, characters make noises frequently. And that means the, like the creature is going to come. So you better get a hiding place. But the idea that it is then inevitable that you will get attacked or that you will get killed it seems like it goes down a lot like they just seem way easier to avoid this time than they did before in a way that i i thought that hurt the the tension a little bit i think it's like a game of marco polo but um the person calling out marco has swords (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) right so they say marco you say polo, you can move, but they can also just swing those swords, right? So it's kind of like mm-hmm. a thing where it's like, okay, in theory, if I just don't move, we'll go into like T Rex thing, right? Where it's like, if you don't move, they can't hear you, they can't see you, like everything's cool. But if they swing that sword, you're gonna die. So you have to always mm-hmm. be moving, which means you have to make some sound, but it's like at some point, your movement is more important than you're not making any sound, especially if the creature is like throwing giant pipes around and like making a huge mess. It can't fully track where you are. But yeah, I, I think there is something that's not fully established there. Like, cause in theory, what you would like the way we would, would have won this war is we just get every wood chipper in the world and we just turn them on and all the aliens would just run into the wood chipper, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that is the thing. I, I can't tell because the first movie established like waterfalls are safe and like ambient noise makes it safe. So I don't totally get what noise does and doesn't attract the aliens. Yeah. It, it kind of seems ill-defined. Like there's like rickety swing sets and a dock with boats on it that are swaying back and forth. Like there's all sorts of noise that the aliens seem content to ignore. Yeah, and I, I don't totally get what governs that. I think I think it comes down to is it a noise like so if a dock is is doing it, you hear that and like like whoosh, 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 little yeah, water rhythm, rhythmic or sinusoidal or whatever. Yeah, but if you were to trip and fall on the dock, it would be like and like you know like a dog's ears popping up, and you're like, what is this sound? And then if you heard it animals a scurrying, then it's like okay, now I know what I'm looking for. Go after the sound of that sound. Um, yeah. What about animals? Because in the first movie, there are like squirrels on a roof. Why are there any squirrels left? <laughs> I feel like squirrels <laughs> would be completely fucked. Maybe the aliens decided the squirrels uh, weren't good enough sustenance for them. Mm. I think those are all my questions. Uh, yeah. So, so my last question, I guess, is why do you think it is important that the family knows Killian Murphy? <sighs> That is a good question. I feel like they're tr- they want it to be important. Like, I forgot he was in this movie until the prelude happens. And then I was like, oh, Killian Murphy. Oh, yeah, that's right. They're going to run into him. Um, they want it to be important because he is a figure from their past who knew their father. And it becomes a story about masculinity, kind of like the first one, where it is very, like you know, this is what it means to be a real man. 
Um, and it wants it to be him having been in like the shadow of John Krasinski and now doing it right. But I don't think the movie earns it. So I actually don't think in the real way the movie is laid out, it matters at all that they knew Killian Murphy before. Yeah, like it, it's completely... Except un- for the obvious dive setup that I was like, like I enjoyed when it happened, but like I for sure knew it was going to happen. Like oh, they yeah, called yeah. the shot real obviously at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I couldn't have predicted that they would literally be on docks. I was like, all right, all right, movie. You got me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he, he learned one word in sign language. <laughs> Which, which which the funniest part about that is too it is one of those it like um what's the word for like a word in another language it, it's basically like a word that sounds like its meaning yeah yeah this like, is like uh, onomatopoeia no that that's a word that sounds the way it sounds maybe that is what onomatopoeia is anyway anyways this is the sign language equivalent of that that word where it's like even if you didn't know sign language if somebody puts their two hands together and then goes from a prayer motion to like a scooped down motion you would get that <laughs> like if somebody yeah. went hey whoop <laughs> whoop whoop <laughs> right you'd be like i'm, I'm sorry enunciate <laughs> <laughs> nice good callback steven <laughs> um but you know what i mean right like that that's like a like you didn't yeah. have to have a scene where at a ball game he's like how do you say dive <laughs> <sighs> but anyways <laughs> are are you on board steven you. for quiet place part three i'm on board i'm on board i'll do it i'm just my memory of quiet place part one was like oh wow that was like shockingly good like i am impressed at how good that movie is and now this has just fallen into the realm of okay this is a whatever this is a franchise like like i don't know it just doesn't excite me as much i liked it better when it was called a quiet place part one <laughs> yeah <laughs> All right, so here's my question for you, Stephen. Films aside, how would you try to survive in this world? <laughs> hmm. Does the internet still work? <laughs> I mean, we'll say that this is happening in real time, and the internet is working enough for people to be retweeting that they're attracted to sound. <laughs> and then all those people who tweeted it die because they go... Like, do I really think this is the same reason I'm generally comfortable living where I live right now is do I really think they're coming up to like the sixth floor of an apartment building? I don't know. I think I'm safe. I think I'm fine. (laughs) I pick this place for noise insulation. Oh, that is one thing that I do want to. How does sound work in this universe? Because you make a noise and they come from miles away. And yet clearly, if you are inside like layers of concrete, they can't hear you and you're safe. I, so I don't think they come from miles away. I think the idea is that you don't know where they are. They could just be sitting there resting with their eyes closed, waiting for you to make a sound. Um, it's not about are they miles away and suddenly running here? It's are they close enough to hear me? Um, mm. But yeah, I, I definitely feel like... Um, did you ever play uh, any of the Half-Life games? Yes, but I can't remember anything about them now. There is, um, and all the all the actual gamers listening are going to be super pissed when I say all this stuff wrong, but in the game, there's parts where you're going through sandy areas, and there's these machines that just pound the ground to create vibrations because there's these weird sand things that come out of the ground and try to get you if you walk on the sand, but you can travel mm-hmm. safely between all of the ground pounding because that drives them away, uh, you know, like tremor style or whatever. Um, yeah. I feel like having stuff, big industrial machinery 
that makes noise creates a like auditory alibi for you to be in a place that doesn't create a a like I'm a, I'm prey come get me. I think that you put yeah. a bunch of guns in uh, every sporting uh, arena on the planet, and you just They're fucking already there. Crank that <laughs> yeah. You just crank that speakers up, and you just play like acdc or something and oh, yeah. then shoot out all the fireworks from every fourth of july no, you know forever exactly like if i were the kids i would be trying to get fireworks and things like that or those little uh remember uh those little things like little it's like little tissue paper full of like little rock salt or whatever and you throw it on the ground it goes pop yeah you would just get like yeah. hands full of those and just chuck them one direction running the other direction so you can try to do it right uh you know getting Whatever you need to. Like, I, I think there's like lots of things that you can do to try to create sound in one place so that you can move to another place. And I just don't understand why this film... Also, like the family, I get that you want the farm. But why would you not just like live at the waterfall? <laughs> I think that is yeah. like the obvious thing. Yeah, for the it'd first be much movie. better. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. I think... I don't know about me. I don't know if I'm resourceful enough. I might be in your camp of just like, I had a good life. <laughs> um, yeah. But... For people who are resourceful, it does feel like you would try to find some kind of steady state solution to this problem. And there is enough there with the sound thing that you could definitely have like white noise generators or put your house somewhere next to a waterfall or again, go hunting for an island, um, which not enough people have done. And it does kind of feel like the world has not tried nearly as much as I think the world would have tried to actually survive this thing. And that seems weird. We could just swim out to Alcatraz. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. easy new spoiler warning headquarters <laughs> <laughs> then we starve a few days later because we realize we don't know how to fish <laughs> and that's the only source of sustenance yeah but i mean yeah it is it is weird like in all these post-apocalyptic world films what are you striving to survive for right like i would argue that's to even outside of post-apocalyptic films. <laughs> like just, just every day <laughs> in the world that we live in now. Um, yeah. But I, but I mean, like, like for instance, uh, you're an astronaut and uh, you are, uh, I don't know, you're, you're working on something and your ship gets hit, struck by some meteorite thing. You go spinning out of control. You float off into space indefinitely. Literally, even just to launch a mission to get you is almost impossible because there's no way to catch up to your trajectory in a way that would allow anybody to come home again. Right. It's just, you're you're gone. What are you doing? (laughs) Just like slowly eating the rations on your ship, right? Like what, what is your hope? Um, after you're done. Well, yeah, but that, that does get to just the deep question of what is living for. Like, is it your thought life? Are they reading? Are they thinking deeply about things as a connection? If it was two people, would it be okay? I mean, that's my question for you. <laughs> I don't know. How many people makes it okay? But that's the thing. It's like, it, it, it's, it's one thing if like, let's say the planet is, is dying. There's a meteorite going to hit it and a ship full of people is escaping and you theoretically could restart the human race with the people on that ship because there is a plan. We mysteriously find out that uh, turns out that uh, there's been a cloaking device over Mars 
Mars isn't really this gross uh, red planet of just dirt. It's actually identical to Earth and everything's fine. And right, I mean, Matt Damon has been cultivating it ever since that scenario you laid out about the astronaut happened to him. Yeah, he's yeah. been been there. But like, like in all in all seriousness, for my ridiculous question, right? Like, let's say that you are you you are a ship full of full of two hundred and fifty people, and you're about like you've escaped Earth just as it exploded, and you can land on a neighboring planet that somehow we didn't know was there because it was cloaked, and it is perfectly hospitable. You can restart the human planet there. And by trying to survive, you can restart society. Eventually, you're able to like mine resources and build technology. And like Earth 2 happens, and then everything's kosher. That is a thing that you can sustain and you can create life in a way that you can't do if you're just one person on a spacecraft just waiting for the oxygen to go out. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, I'd really want to eat pork. Like you said, it's kosher. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that still wouldn't be good enough for me. Like, like if you're Tony Stark and you're like, I know in the back of my head that somewhere an Avenger is going to find me. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. You can at least hold out as long as you can, because there are people that can fly through space and people with crafts that can fly through space. And there's a chance you're going to be rescued. If you're in a situation in which like literally everyone's dead, for instance, I keep joking about it, but the tomorrow war, Right. If the entire population of the planet is 500,000 people and they're all getting attacked <laughs> mm -hmm. and you somehow survive and you're the last human being, there is nothing you can do except for die of old age. Right. And would you really want to live for 40 years thinking that every time you step outside, you're going to die? <laughs> well, I mean, that... It, it sounds dumb, but it really depends on what there is. Like, do I have books? Do I have movies? Do I have internet? Do I have socializing <laughs> somehow? Like, there are these building blocks that you use to create a meaningful life, even when you can't go outside. Um, but it it really is tricky. I don't know. Uh, uh, like, I have no idea what, what would make it worth living in this, like, extreme situation where there's nothing else. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't mean to be so flippant about it. I just, it's, it's one of those things where I'm like, man, what are all these people fighting for? Yeah. Like what is the ideal for them? Like, I, like, I think, I mean, you painted the ideal, which is like they can cultivate and begin anew and stuff. I think the question is if people knew beyond a shadow of the doubt that the creatures could never be defeated and there could never be a stable way to avoid them, would they still hold out hope for survival or would they abandon it? And I don't know. I don't have a good answer for that. Yeah. Like if they were eradicated and now we're just back to being hunter gatherers, that's one form of living. But if like we are always the prey to predators that are unstoppable and we'll never get by them, it's like a different equation to, 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 to do the math on. Like, like, don't get me wrong. Like when I, when I was traveling around Ireland, there were definitely places along the, the ocean where it's just like, there's a little house there and then there's nothing around it. And I was like, I could definitely yeah. like just sit out there in the evening and just like look at the water and be a hundred percent content and happy. But like, yeah, that's like ideal scenery. <laughs> and I no, need people to deliver that supplies. That's an interesting point. Like if you were literally alone or I'll give you one person, like, you know, John Krasinski has his family, right? Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll give you a person, but there were, you were never going to interact with another human being again. You're living out there 
you have no internet, you have no phone, you have all the crossword puzzles or whatever you could ever want to do, you have tons of alcohol, and you have a nice view, would that sustain a life that you would want to live? Or is part of life the possibility that there is more to explore and more people to meet and more things to learn that you haven't learned before? And like getting rid of that possibility, does that suddenly make it be a weird, claustrophobic situation? Like if I'm if I am I am on an island that is self-sustaining so long as I don't overeat like the crops mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Like like if I can have if I if I can eat every day without overeating the the goods that are on my island and I can live forever and there is not a threat or at least I believe that I am safe I could definitely live and die of old age. In their situation where they can't stay at home because the shit just got wrecked and everything's flooded and like whatever reason they decide to leave and they're just walking with their baby and there's nowhere to go. They have no expectation of being able to get out of their situation, right? Like the daughter believes that there is a place that is safe and she wants to go there, um, which is fine. Hope is a good thing and we all need it a lot especially nowadays um especially in this film but like the reality is different than like in the in the in the first film right there's the old guy whose wife dies and he just goes fuck it and screams because he doesn't have a reason to live anymore right like yeah there there i i i get that mentality of that old man right (laughs) like Mm -hmm. he was making it work and then it done didn't work anymore (laughs) and he was like i'm done with this shit (laughs) yeah no, I hear, I mean, hey, there's hope. The fact that you would be content alone as long as you were fed and on a beautiful island means that we're getting somewhere. <laughs> there, you could find a life worth living. Because is it really that the beauty is nature or could you make your little farm home be beautiful to you? Could you take up painting and make things that are beautiful? You know, I feel like once that spark is there, you can find a reason to live. Certainly in Killian Murphy's place where like, he doesn't even need to be afraid while he's in there. I, like, I feel like you could for sure make that work. I, I guess for, for me, what it comes down to is, are you rolling the dice every hour for your entire life? Or are you just biding your time until you die of old age? One of those is sustainable. One of those is makes me question what you're working towards right like like if like if you if you think that you are just good to go like killian murphy clearly has an idea of how much time he has left right that's why when the family gets there he's like pissed because he's like look i don't I, like there's no food for you there's no supplies for you 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 can't stay here this is just not i i, I didn't factor this in blah 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 he he is He's not willing to have these people there, not just because they're a liability to him, but because he like now his equation is altered in a way where he his his time frame of how much longer can I just deal with this shit is now changed. Right. So it's Mm -hmm. it's it's like it's one thing if it's um, like in the last man on Earth. Right. It was a virus that killed everybody. Right. Yeah. So in theory, because so many people on the planet are gone so quickly. You can just move town to town, eating up the resources 
and like surviving until you find some mansion that's worth living in. And then once you shit in the pool too much, <laughs> you can move on to another random mansion, right? I've learned the correct lesson yeah. from that film or that, that TV show, yeah. right? <laughs> um, like you are, you will probably die of old age before you run out of resources and there's nothing trying to kill you. You're immune to the virus. It's just now you're just like, I'm just doing all the things that I never could have done before because I needed to like work for a living and have responsibilities. And now that I'm the only one left on the planet, I can just do whatever the fuck that I want and have fun. And then some days I'll just read all day. Some days I will take a go-kart and drive it through a supermarket. Some days I'll drive over shit with a monster truck. Like it, it, you're just... You're just using the yeah, resources. You're right, last time I solved, solved the existential question, at least, if you have freedom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the problem, I guess, that you have is there's also a lack of freedom in the quiet place situation. Yeah, yeah. I just think, like, if you're willing to live within confines, you know, like, we already have confines. Like, I can't, like, jump and do a half backflip and land on my head. Like, there are things that I could do that I know I can't because it will hurt me. Well, um, what's the point of living, Stephen, if you can't jump and do exactly. a backflip and land on your head? And in this case, what they have learned is they have to be quiet. You know, that's what they have to. And there's no reason unless you have a baby or have nails, like, scattered around your stairwells that you can't learn to have a happy life where you're being quiet. Like, I don't know if there's anything about humanity that necessitates that you are making noise. Um, so the question is like, how comfortably can you, like, I think the farm situation that they were in was pretty good before. I mean, if, if you and had a wall around your farm, like imagine, uh, imagine if you had the, uh, the shipping containers from uh, army of the dead. Right. And you just yeah. had a giant wall around your farm and you were growing everything you needed to survive in that farm. I'm cool with that. I'm good. The problem is they don't have all the supplies they need. Like, it's, I mean, it's kind of like, uh, you know, when lockdown first happened and everything was going crazy, uh, you know, like I, I was like, man, I should take my boosted board out <laughs> and go for a ride. And then I was like, man, yeah. if I wipe out right now, do I want to go to the hospital that's being overrun with COVID patients. No. Right. Like it was just like a thing where it's like, it's like I could just go out and have fun for a minute, but then I'm like, Oh yeah, but having fun's a little dangerous. Like, I don't know yeah. if I want to, <laughs> I don't know if I want to do that right now because of these other consequences that can happen. So it's like, even if you're a hundred percent self-sustained on your farm, as soon as you do, you roll your ankle, you do something stupid, you fall off a thing, you cut yourself with a knife and you step in a bear trap. Yeah, I step in a bear trap. Like any of these things that you do, your entire equation is suddenly completely ruined, right? Like you just can't, you are a liability to the rest of the group. And now somebody has to go out foraging for antibiotics and, you know, bandages and gauze and shit like that stuff that you could have raided a million years ago, but you didn't for some reason. Um, and it's really just like, it's, it's, it's a different situation right it's i don't know it, something's weird about it yeah anyway i would trust john krasinski in that situation to get me bandages and gods because like he's you know he's all about gazi because he was in the <laughs> ben ben gazi movie <laughs> yeah. yep that was it uh 
Well, thank you for listening to our After Dark. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, everybody. Is life worth living? (laughs) Y slash N. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I think the answer is variety and some level of comfort. I would just argue... Well, thank God none of them snore, by the way. (laughs) That that, that is one... (laughs) One plot point that <laughs> has not been factored in. Like, you are really trusting yourself a lot by going to sleep in this universe. Yeah. That is true. Also, what about some sort of, like, snorkel situation on that baby carrier? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Does it really have to be completely airtight? I feel like you can muffle sound pretty well and still have <laughs> oxygen. <laughs> Just a thought for Quiet Place Part 3. Since they're out of oxygen containers. I, I hope they still commit to using the same cast. And in A Quiet Place Part 3, it's one day later and the baby's like a four-year-old. <laughs> Mom, I'm hungry. <laughs> uh, <sighs> all right, well, on that note. <laughs> I like that the baby grows up to be Cartman. <laughs> Cartman playing World of Warcraft. <laughs> Man, bad dream. <laughs> All right. All I know is we're, we're, we're not going to have this many questions about the Jungle Cruise. Hey, you never know. <laughs> Just so should, we, should we go? Done recording. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll talk to you later. <laughs> <laughs>